Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My guest on today's episode is here to promote his new travel show. But for legions of Comedy Bang Bang fans like me, he will always be best known as intern Gino Lombardo. Sound speeds. Wait a minute. I know those two words, sound Let, speeds. Let's roll it, boys. It's, it's our current intern. This is Gino. Hello. Hey, uh, yeah, hi. What's going on, Scott? Yeah. I got a What's report. going on? I got a report that uh, you're, uh, you need someone to, like, press – I forget what it was, press record, press pause. We've been doing this like, show for a long time at this point. <laughs> yeah. But I just – I you know, the, the light went up, you know, like, hey, interns, Scott needs a the, hand. The intern Gino signal? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's just an Italian sub that they shine up in the air. <laughs> this is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was comedian John Gabris with Scott Ackerman on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. I am so excited that he answered the call of the Italian sub and is here with us today. As I tell John in this episode, I first became aware of his work through Comedy Bang Bang and had the insane honor of sitting in the recording booth when he was part of an all-star lineup for that show's 500th episode back in 2017. Alongside Nick Kroll, Jason Manzukis, Paul F. Tompkins, and others, John was probably the least famous comedian in that room, but he also may have been the funniest. Now, John, who got his start performing improv at UCB in the early 2000s, and has since popped up in shows like Drunk History and What We Do in the Shadows, is co-hosting a really fun new travel show on True TV with his friend and former Last Laugh guest, Adam Pally called 101 Places to Party Before You Die. Since I've been a fan of John's comedy for so long, including on his weekly podcast, High and Mighty, I felt like now was the perfect time to have him on this show to talk about landing his dream job, where all he has to do is travel around to the most fun cities in the country and get wasted on camera with his best friend. Our conversation also got unexpectedly deep when he explained why the phrase, Before You Die, in his new show's title, means more to him than it might seem on the surface. This is a really fun one, so let's get into it. Here's me with John Gabris. I was looking back, I can't believe it's been uh, five years since, I don't know if you'll remember this, but we met at the uh, 500th episode of Comedy Bang Bang at the studio. Um, I was... Uh, <laughs> awkwardly sitting in the corner watching you guys record and then, oh and then talk God. to everybody. <laughs> I do remember that now. Were you doing like an oral history of yeah, Comedy so Bang? I did, yeah, I did, I did the oral history of, of Comedy Bang Bang on the occasion of the 500th episode, which was uh, very exciting for me. I got to talk to like, I don't know, 40 comedians or something. I remember now. I remember that. And yeah, it was it was very fun though to to watch watch it in action, especially. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Small world, man. Well, now look at us. Yeah. Now, now you're the fucking, you know, got the Hollywood pod. I got the Hollywood show. We've really yeah. grown. We're really big time now. Yeah. And uh, intern Gino still going strong. Yeah. He, I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely want to get into a little bit of comedy bang bang later, but let's start with the, with your new show. It's 101 places to party before you die. Uh, I did see that it was previously titled 101 places to get fucked up before you die. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and when the network came back to us and we're like, uh, we're going to need to change the title. I had a brief moment of like, Why? And then like, oh, because the word fuck is in the, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. This no. could be problematic. <laughs> I don't know a TV show. Don't trust the B in apartment 23. We were like 101 places to get effed up before you die. Like we kept trying to go yeah. to get blasted before you died, but not, <laughs> none of it made sense except for party. Yeah. Party's pretty straightforward. I mean, everyone's like, likes to party. Yeah. And, and it has a, uh, you know, all different connotations. If you're right. a Coke person, it means Coke, <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. you know, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, how did you how'd you land your your dream job as a, a travel host? Uh, dude, I have no idea. This is <laughs> truly it's funny you say that. It's truly my dream job. This is dream job level shit I got going on here. The funny thing is, is like I can't figure out how I got here, but also all signs in my life point to me <laughs> eventually being here. Like like just even my like my career, like I started doing improv with Adam in like 2005, 2004. Oh, yeah. So we've known each other forever through the UCB. So I'm starting there with improv, which is a big part of hosting. I, in my youth, hosted a bunch of, uh, you know, random game shows for MTV, like The Substitute, a couple for True TV way back in the day. I uh, was on a show called Guy Code where we're just talking and uh, riffing jokes, all stuff that would come in handy. Also, this whole time, I'm an absolute fucking glutton who can't <laughs> stop eating and drinking and smoking weed. And those are all skill. And my ability to continue to talk and hold court while drunk, which helped me get on the show Drunk History, having, oh, yeah. having insane tolerance, which has allowed me to uh, survive Hollywood parties while, while getting wasted without <laughs> blowing it. All of those skill sets, all of those things I didn't realize I was doing, drunken improv shows. I did a one-man show called Blackout Drunk where I drank like 20 beers in an hour and, and tried to remember stories about How did drinking. that go? Oh, that that ran for a while, way too long. Actually, it was really? kind of how many <laughs> how many times a week were you doing that? I was doing that once a week, at, okay, uh, or good. once a month at UCB eventually. Okay. But it got to be pretty uh, brutal. I had to like, you know, someone was like, "You should bring this to Fringe," and I was like, "I think I'll die if I do <laughs> thirty days a row of blackout drinking in Scotland." Yeah, but that's a that sounds dangerous. Even that show, Adam, there was always a guest bartender, someone who would try to keep me on track, and then Adam and I. Adam and I did that in South by Southwest together. Oh, nice. Then we both got we both got booked on a movie called The Little Hours that my friend Jeff Baina was directing. We both went to Italy together and we're in Italy traveling and we're realizing oh, that we yeah. both kind of travel and party the same because we were on the same schedule. So we had the same days off. And so we were like just partying and hanging out. And I was like, dude, yeah, I'm down for another bottle of Brunello. And he's like, fuck yeah, me too. And we've been friends for like 15 <laughs> years at this point. But we're realizing that we like travel the exact same way. We're chatting with whoever. We're flirting with the servers. We're just like living... Uh, 
And I was like, oh, shit. And then as time went on, we were like, we should do this for a job, man. The best part of shooting that movie was hanging out in the city outside of the movie. So how can we chase that? And then our managers happen to be best friends. Uh, they're at different companies, but they're also EPs of the show. They come to us with the like we all the four of us gather around, get this idea going, get the rights to the book. And we're like, shit, let's go out and pitch it. And True TV was immediately on board. They were like, this is in our wheelhouse. And we were like, fuck, yes, that means you're in our wheelhouse, True. Let's ride. I mean, it's pretty insane to get someone to pay you to do something like this, uh, to travel to all of these cities and Dude, just it would uh, be, do whatever you want. Exactly. It would be a huge fucking win if they just paid for us to travel. Yeah, if it wasn't even and, on TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Adam and I were joking because, like, you know, with all the mergers and shit, you never know what's going to happen. And, and then we were like, we were like, hey, I think the victory was just getting to travel on somebody else's dime. <laughs> like, I think we already, we already won. It really feels like a heist. Like, I, I can't explain it like i i feel so insanely lucky yeah it could have it could have been on quibi and never aired and that would have been fine right yeah who knows anything could fucking anything could blow up a tv show at this point you know shit is shutting down <laughs> constantly we we sold the travel show in february we sold the pitch in february 2020 right <laughs> as covid was hitting like it feels so weird because the show we conceptualized it before covid and it's truly uh, we, we, you know, we still shot it. We shot the pilot, uh, with some restrictions and then we, uh, shot the rest of the season with, uh, just a little bit of restrictions because we shot the rest of the season later on. Obviously that's how pilots and series work, but it's been really exciting. Like if you want to talk about like, okay, quarantine's lifted. What do you want to do? It's like, how about you fly to eight cities and get fucked, <laughs> go to two restaurants a day, activities, talk to every server and every person you engage with. And you were like, oh shit, here we go. <laughs> so was, was there any hesitation or you just kind of jumped in? No, it's actually kind of weird. When we shot the pilot in Denver, we landed and the mask mandate was lifted that day in Colorado. Convenient. So, but it was, it was just really insane <laughs> because... Uh, it had been like a year and change of me not ever being in a lift, not ever being in a plane, and not being in a restaurant. And then in in one day, I ripped off the bandaid on like well, maybe that's the way to do it. Adam and I were sharing a joint on the street of Denver, and I'm like, "Hey, you're the first person I shared a joint with besides Tiffany, my wife, in like 18 months." He's like, "Oh shit, same here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a real bonding moment for us two potheads. Well, there is something very cathartic about watching the show and watching you guys travel and just uh, and do whatever you want, because I think so many of us have not been doing that for the past couple of years um, and, and want to get back to it. Um, yeah, I did get to see the, the Denver episode, um, which I thought was was really great. Um, oh, and, awesome. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. I had no idea. Thank you. Yeah, really fun. I want to see more. Um, where else did you guys go? What were some other highlights of uh, cities? Uh, I could think I could rattle off all the cities real quick. Uh, Richmond, Atlanta, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Portland. Uh, Miami, uh, Moab, and Maui. I always remember the three M's together. Uh, yeah, F Maui's for the finale. Fucking great. To All those cities are so rad. Um, I like to tell people that Richmond was the big surprise. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we, in hindsight, loved about this show is like, like you're saying, like people are fiending to get out. And it's like, well, if you live within a two-hour drive of Richmond, 
you can party in Richmond. You know, you don't have to. Aff- you don't have to be able to afford Miami or Maui or you know. You so we want to prove that we can part. You can party anywhere. It's about the attitude. It's about. It's a mindset. You know, <laughs> the one hundred one places mindset. So Richmond was a big surprise. Puerto Rico I had been to before, and but it was just like this time around being in San Juan without like my mom and brothers and nephews and nieces. It felt like it felt like a real fucking trip, and that and that was really thrilling. And I hadn't been to Miami since I was a little kid. So that that was really exciting for me. But the big surprise was Moab. I had not even seen the word uh, <laughs> except in like video games because it stands for mother of all bombs. I had <laughs> at least in the worms game I used <laughs> in, to play in your world. <laughs> yeah, in my world. So I had never even heard of that. And when I was like, oh, why? Why would we want to go there? I started like looked up pictures and I was like, oh, shit, it looks like fucking Mars. That's so rad. So then uh, Moab was to me the big surprise. Like Richmond was a surprise. Like I had I had not expected it to be so fun. And then Moab, I just knew nothing about. And that was true, like felt like a true exploration moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, a big part of the show is obviously partying, uh, getting drunk and high uh, on <laughs> camera, which is something that you maybe have done, you know, in live settings and, and all that. Um, is it is it scary at all to get fucked up on camera and then not know what you're what you're what you're going to say, what you're going to do? I mean, how do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think. I've spent my whole life getting fucked up and being worried about what I had said the night before. Like, <laughs> you know, you got to trust your editors. Uh, you got big confidence in the producers and editors. I will say the thing, like, the I don't have a difficulty uh, controlling myself, like, talking-wise when I'm drunk. I have a difficulty controlling myself for more drinking. Oh, so okay. the har- <laughs> the hardest part of the show is knowing you need to stop because tomorrow you need to do this again. But I'm a like a Pringles can. Like once I pop, I can't stop. You know, like I I need to like lock myself in my hotel room after I've had like you know six drinks at dinner. I'm like okay. I, I and then you know like we had this awesome fucking crew. You know, great camera people, great sound people, great uh, great producers, and they're watching two dudes party in all these cities. And they're the types of people who take a job that is a low budget travel show where you travel around and film people getting fucked up. So, you know, they're a little loose, you know? Yeah, so yeah. they're like, Oh, we're going to stay at this last spot we shot at and, and yeah, hang out here and, and party. Out to a bit. Yeah. And they're like, are you guys going to hang out? And me and Adam are guys who don't want to turn down a party where we are the EPs of this show. So we feel the need to party with our crew and they're busting their ass for us. <laughs> yeah. So now I've been drinking all day and I'm like, all right, now it's time to drink for fun. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Cameras off. <laughs> yeah. I got to switch to water. Water at night with my with the crew. That's that's my season two plan if there is one. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the most fucked up you were during the whole uh, time filming? Ooh, that's a good question. And uh, in Portland, we ate these kind of powerful edibles, and you see, like my eyes are half closed for like the entire <laughs> episode. But also in Moab, I we drink a bottle of bourbon around a campfire. We split a bottle of High West around a campfire, and uh, I was also like a little under the weather, and you can like hear it in my voice. And it's just like the next morning I woke up, and I was like my eyes were crusted shut. You know, I just felt like absolute dog shit. And I need to start like treating partying like uh, like a prof- if if this is gonna be my career, I need to start treating it like a profession. 
professional athlete. I need to like walk off set and get into like an ice bath and like a massage table. I got to sit in front of one of those cool zone fans like they have on the sidelines at the NFL. <laughs> yeah, it's such a it's such a unique thing to to do as your job. I mean, I can't. I as you said, it's kind of like a a dream job, but it is it does feel a little uh, risky in terms of where where it could lead. Yeah, it's like weirdly like a Twilight Zone Black Mirror kind of dream job where you're like, I love to party. It's like, well, now you're 40 and you don't love to party as much as you used to. <laughs> but now now you're going to go to 101 places and uh, and we know you have a hard time saying no to anything, Gabriel. So rock, rock and roll, <laughs> bitch. Uh, it's like, do you wish you had this job 20 years ago or would that have been a, a mistake? Well, we've talked about that because Adam and I were saying like uh, 10 years ago, my body would have handled this job better, but my mind wouldn't have been. It would have went to my head head too fast i would have been like you know who knows where i'd be now if i got this job 10 years ago. all signs point to me getting this job now i mean i turned i turned 40 on january 31st 2022 and our first day of shooting in richmond virginia for the rest of the season was on february 1st 2020. so i like turned 40 had dinner with my wife for my 40th birthday and then took off for 10 uh, eight weeks of fucking traveling the country <laughs> and drinking adam turned 40 while we were in portland in the episode so it was like it, it was a real midlife it, it feels like a midlife crisis that uh is being underwritten by discovery and warner brothers yeah, a midlife crisis that we can all watch in real time yeah you guys can watch the slow motion real midlife crisis that's occurring all around us um i did love the uh the church of weed in the denver episode as well that was pretty cool that was unexpected did you know about that uh, before? Or? No, I didn't. We have some great researchers and producers on the show. Uh, a lot, you know, our pre-pro team, like they do a lot of the research. And you know, Adam and I will have pitches of like things we want to do when we go to these cities. Things we like, you know, th th they'll send us like, "Hey, we're thinking about doing this city," or "What else do you guys want to do this season?" And, and we were like riffing a lot of stuff. But Church of Cannabis, I didn't even know about. And then getting to go to that was a pretty rad experience for two uh, potheads. Uh, <laughs> And also legally smoking weed, like on, like <laughs> in a church. It's the first time I felt comfortable in a church ever. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel like such a such an example of how much weed culture has changed over the past, you know, even you know, five, ten years, um, you know, since we were growing up. Um, did that? Yeah, did you feel that? I felt that. I feel that so big. Like when my, you know, uh, a. a an, a great aunt or my friend's grandma is like, I have five milligrams every night at 4 p.m., you know, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, whoa, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and like, I love all, I love like, we knew a lot of people were blazing, like, and I just love that people are like now more comfortable, like letting people know. I mean, in Miami, I, I bought this diamond cannabis leaf necklace at at a pawn shop and uh <laughs> weed culture has changed to the degree where i'm wearing this at my jobs <laughs> you know like and no one is no one is like fire that dude yeah and, i mean <laughs> well, I you do have, have a very specific job <laughs> I feel mad. that was exactly what i was about to say to be fair my job's probably a little different than if you're an fbi agent or whatever yeah, yeah. they couldn't get away with that necklace <laughs> yeah no uh, but wearing this necklace is sort of like wearing like, uh, you know, I'll be wearing a pink carnation. Like, I feel like a lot of like <laughs> waiters and bartenders and shit are always like, dig your necklace, man. And I'm like, got you. Yeah. Let me know if you want to step out into the alley. <laughs> Coming up, John talks about the early days of UCB and watching Adam Pally's career blow up. And later, the origin story of Gino the Intern on Comedy Bang Bang. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to my conversations with 101 Places to Party Before You Die's Adam Pally and Comedy Bang Bang's Scott Ackerman, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to John Gabris. It does seem like you and Adam uh, make each other laugh uh, harder than, than almost anyone else. Uh, well, how would you describe your, uh, your comedy dynamic and, uh, together? We're, we're very similar and very different at the same time. Like We're as different as two 40-year-old white guy comedians from the tri-state area can be, but that <laughs> does carry, you know, we do carry a lot of similarities with that. Uh, but Adam has always cracked me up. He's like one of my first friends I made doing comedy in New York City, and, and we stuck with it. And uh, like our, him and I are both been with the same girls forever, uh, which is a way to describe <laughs> I'm married at 40. <laughs> been with the same chick since I was 20. And uh, so like I've known his wife as long as I've known him. He's known my wife. So like our families are intertwined. I, you know, I know all of his kids was there for his wedding, the kids' births, the funerals, all, 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 that, all that shit. We've been there for each other. Uh, but the whole time Man, he always makes me laugh. He is he. I laugh so much in the show too because two reasons: I'm stoned, drunk, and <laughs> I'm with my. I'm stoned and drunk, and I'm with my best friend who's hysterical. Pat, and look, I'm not the only person who thinks Adam Pally is funny. Clearly, society thinks he's pretty fucking funny. The dude keeps getting work. There's a reason. He's insanely charming, and I just. He, he it works on me. He gets me too, and I I can make him laugh too because I. He knows, like, he loves roast, getting roasted or roasting each other, and he, like, that's a strong suit of mine. That's our love language. Did you have any competition coming up because you were kind of coming up together, and or did you go out for the same parts and that kind of stuff? Uh, not, not exactly. We, uh, we were uh, kind of in different camps. He also was like my first friend to. St- get successful early like he he like booked a twix commercial when we we were just starting out you know and then like you were catching him in movies and tv shows like way before the uh, the rest of us myself included so i never felt like we were ever competing uh um and then that energy just doesn't come into the show either you know what i mean like we both let each let the other one be very funny on the show we're never like i mean adam is you'll see Watch the rest of the episodes. Adam is so funny in all of the fucking cities. Like, I love watching him. 
And then uh, we'll watch a cut, and I'll be like, bro, you're so fucking funny in this. And he'll be like, dude, you're so fucking funny in this. And I'm like, I think that's a good sign. You know, we're either just standing here sucking each other's dicks for no reason, or maybe it's a good sign that we both think the other's funny in this. So we'll see. (laughs) There's a great moment in the Denver episode where you kind of both get recognized as famous, but that people don't have any idea what, what you're from. What that's that's what you're recurring from. throughout the entire yeah, series. I was going to ask if that's a common experience for you. <laughs> common experience. And that, and that was really fun. That's where we got like play playfully competitive. Cause we would just be like, who do you recognize? Yeah. And, <laughs> Frequently, people would just assume they knew me from somewhere because I'm a giant freak who dresses weird. You know, uh, <laughs> every once in a while, someone would be like, "Are are you Adam Pally, Max from Happy Endings?" You know, like, and they'll go ape shit, and like, I gets no like, and then it'll be kind of like a little running tally of who gets noticed more. Winner, a spoiler alert: it's Adam. <laughs> <laughs> What? What's my name? Max Greenfield. What's your name? My name's Dylan. Dylan, all right. I'm Googling you, dude. I'm Max Greenfield. This is Maddie Matheson. I'm Maddie Matheson, and this is Vice News. <laughs> <laughs> Can we send that table a round of drinks? Or whatever they're drinking. Whatever they're drinking. Thanks. These guys back here got you guys a round of sake shots. To Dylan. To you. Hey, I found you. You found me? I didn't find you yet. You haven't found me yet. Not yet. But you found him. Well, I did find you. That's about the theme of the weekend here. Well, I know I really did first, you know, take notice of you on Comedy Bang Bang um, and and that whole world. And I think it's been, that show has been such a incredible, uh, you know, launching pad for so many really, really funny people. Hell um, Yeah. Where were you in your career when you first got on that podcast and and what did it mean at the time? Um, well, I I had listened to the podcast right before I moved to LA, which would be like 2011, 2012, 2012, the end of 2012. Uh, I had been listening to I had only known two two podcasts, Comedy Bang Bang and This American Life. And uh, <laughs> very different. Yeah, New York City was like uh, you know, you read while you rode the subway back then. Uh um, and then podcasts start popping off and uh, someone recommends Comedy Bang Bang to me and it's really fucking funny. And, you know, I'm listening to Kroll and da- and some people I know from UCB uh, New York who have already moved out and hearing them on there. And then uh, I came out to L.A. and was just doing UCB L.A. stuff, you know, the standard grind shit when I moved out here. And then Scott Ackerman asked uh, Neil Campbell, uh, the the uh timekeeper asking him to uh hey do you know are there any new ucb people around that like could be fun for comedy bang bang he recommended me uh i was a big fit you know i I was a big dog and ucb new york and then came out here and was just a up-and-comer but did uh, and scott has told me this story in the past so i i don't feel crazy quoting him here but when scott when uh, Scott's like, so what kind of character do you want to do? I'm like, oh, I'm going to do like a Long Island radio guy who's obsessed with shock jocks like Opie and Anthony. And he was like, <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> like, little did he know that he like he like rolled in his head. He was like, this how is this going to work? Little did he know I would do like 50 episodes as that character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people come out and play a bunch of different characters. You've been pretty consistent with with Gino. Um, so what was the uh, what was the original idea behind uh playing the the intern who uh who didn't really know what a podcast was yeah well i i kind of like the idea of like because and you know what part of it was me being 30 something years old and not fully understanding what a podcast was because it was such a new thing to me um that 
you know, we, we don't have car culture in New York, so there's no like, oh, you got to listen to this in your car. There's Oh, you got to listen to this radio show. Um, so for me, I was like, the only accent I can really do is like a New York accent, but I also know all... Like I grew up on Long Island and I have a, uh, an unearned Long Island pride or, you know, uh, I should not be telling people I have pride in being from Long Island. But that came into play with Gino. I'm like, oh, that'll be fun for me to do. And I and I had been listening to the show for a while and I was like, people do New York accents, uh, uh, you know, like that the Guido accent from Bobby Bottle Service or whoever. But I was like, I'll be doing something different and then I'll just keep getting confused about radio and that'll be fun and I'll be an intern and I'll be going to Nassau Community College like I had all these specific like that was about all I had I'm in my third year at Nassau Community College radio major mm -hmm. coming out here for the semester I'm so pumped to be doing stuff for you guys here and uh, I'm ready to go like okay. you tell me what to do I could do it well the first thing would be you know I mean you're not supposed to necessarily talk this much on the mic but okay. I got but I my, did I did address you so it's okay I apologize I will keep it radio silence <laughs> see what I did there I'm not gonna say anything else for the rest of this hour well this is I mean it's not it's, to be honest it's not radio it's a podcast what so that joke doesn't really this sense. is this is technically radio though, right? You listen to it, you, you don't listen, watch it. I guess, but it's not broadcast on the radio waves. I think would be the I the feel, difference. I feel like even though it's a podcast, as you call it, that my radio yeah. major will help me out in this situation. I, think, I feel like it's. I feel like you should have said podcast silence. Do you feel like it opened a lot of doors for you in the comedy world, being on Comedy Bang Bang? Uh, for sure. Well, the main thing it opened up for me, uh, yes, and it did open up a lot of comedy doors. Uh, also, Scott put me in a, a few episodes of the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, which helped, you know, helped line the pockets a little. Um, the main thing it got me was into the podcast kind of subculture and right, it was like yeah. into the env uh, environment, whatever, whatever the, the landscape and uh, uh, doing other people's podcasts. And then all of a sudden, you know, people going like, you should have a podcast and me being like, what? I don't want a <laughs> podcast. They're like, yeah, dude, everyone has, you should just have your own podcast. People seem to like you. And uh, like people tweeting at me, like, love you on comedy. Bang, bang. You should have a podcast. So then I like, launched the most self-serving podcast in American, uh, you know, and uh, in a self-serving medium, I launched a podcast called High and Mighty, which is just a ripoff of the Joe Rogan show, the Jeff Rubin show, any, it, you know, it's just this show. It's just the chat, just the chat show where the vibes are slight, slightly less professional. And <laughs> I've now done that for like six years, uh, like every week. I have not missed one week. I have like 400 episodes or some shit like that. And that's been really fun. And in the pandemic, it's all I had was podcasting. And, and then High and Mighty spurned Action Boys, which is like me and two buddies talking about action movies. And that is like, that was my previous dream job. When I didn't know it was possible to be paid to travel around the world and drink for free and get, you know, and smoke <laughs> weed before I knew that was a possible career, sitting with your buddies for three hours every week and unpacking best of the best or commando. I didn't know that was a career option at the time. And then it was not a super lucrative career, but enough to feel crazy. I did see you describe your podcast in an interview as a, uh, quote, less aggro, less masculine Joe Rogan show. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, diff completely different politics, but, uh, yeah, I think I used to listen to the Joe Rogan show way back in the day when it was sort of like deep conversations with weirdos from realms of that Joe Rogan was interested in, which is sort of like, oh, that's what I would want to do is like early on in my career, or maybe, you know, not, it has nothing to do with my career, but when I was in my 20s, I heard that Brian Grazer, famed Hollywood super producer, had like a lunch booked every week 
with like a different scientist, uh, thought leader in different. And I was like, that's the shit that opens up your mind. So when I when I came up with High and Mighty, I'm like, I want to talk to my comedy friends, but not about comedy. I want to talk to them about stuff that they like, that they're passionate about, that we're both passionate about, that we both I'm curious about, and they're passionate about. Like I, I you know, so for so to, to be able to do that for four hundred something episodes has been has been a dream. Yeah. Um, the other moment from uh, the news show that I wanted to to touch on is there's this really kind of heartfelt moment uh, near the end of the first episode um, where you're talking about, you know, how short life is and specifically around um, your dad. Um, can you just talk about that a little bit and and why you wanted to you know include that in the in the episode? Sure. Um, well, the before you die part of the title is not for nothing, you know, like uh Adam's mom died very young uh, in in her sleep. My dad died very young from brain cancer, and it just we and Adam and I are both already prone to uh, you know uh, grabbing life by the balls. But those two events inspired us a little bit more to be like, what if you die at fifty something? Like that's I got if if I die at my dad's age, I got like twelve. 12 years left you know what I mean and it's like what am I going to do in these fucking 12 years and I think the analogy I give or the story I tell in the episode which is a story I've been telling since my dad passed uh, my dad was a super smart guy GED but like a self-taught like you know read constantly read books read newspapers but he was a workaholic as well like most uh, baby boomers uh, and he so he was busting his ass all the time he had a a shelf of books and a rack of wine bottles that were gifts that he was like, when I retire, I'm going to drink all the good wine and read all my books at the beach. And then he died with a case of books, never read and a case of wine, never drank. I mean, to be fair, when he was straight up, not with us, kind of barely functioning, we did open his best bottle of red wine, (laughs) uh, all have it around his hospice bed, mix his with the a thickening agent which is like they so that uh liquid can become like pudding so that people don't asper uh asphyxiate on it or aspirate whatever the word is aspirate yeah yeah so we stirred in like an expensive bottle of red wine with like (laughs) gel and we're just like spoon feeding my dad i was like well look dad you're not gonna die without trying this fucking wine we're like spoon feeding him some fucking expensive ass red wine blended with some shit uh uh but like that that has stuck with me forever. It's like read the fucking book, drink the fucking wine, spend the fucking money. Who cares? You know. The, and n- now this like the what's up with the world? Uh, you know, fuck dying young. Or is the world gonna end while we're still young? Like maybe. So in the meantime, get your ass to the church of cannabis. <laughs> like, if that intrigues you, get there. I'm such an easy postponer. You know what I mean? Of like, someday I'll do that. Someday I'll get scuba certified was something I said for 10 years. Like as soon as I can, and then I just had to go like, what the fuck are you doing? Get scuba certified now, motherfucker. And I just did. It's just a crazy, uh, you know, a crazy, th- like the before you die part of the title 
is not just tongue in cheek. It really does mean a lot to the two of us. Uh, and I hope, I hope people take that, like that advice part of the show of like, get, get at whatever it is, 101 places to shop before you die, 101 places to 101 people to kiss on the lips before you die. Like whatever your, whatever your bucket list thing is, check it now. Not a lot of people get warnings for how long they have left in, in, in life. Like get your fucking ass out there and get after it. Do you think that that mindset has affected the way you think about uh, work and comedy and your and your career as well? In the pandemic, combined with my my sort of attitude of like, in the pandemic, the world slowed down to a degree where I was able to really think to my think about my career and you know my career dead stop live comedy uh, shoots all that only podcasting continued so I had a lot of free time a lot of long stoned long mushroom walks where I'm thinking to m- thinking to myself and I'm the thing that I came to was like who fucking cares about work <laughs> like if I want to do comedy I'll do comedy but like I was so caught up in like money and booking and insurance I, I mean I it's all stuff I, I do have to worry about. But at the same time, I was like, this isn't why you got into comedy to like hopefully hustle so you can have enough money for a down payment. Like if you wanted money, you could have gotten into a career that is easy to make money. You know, like I, I, I've been doing this for 20 years now. If I would have just been at Bear Stearns for 20 years, I could probably be <laughs> retiring now. But yeah. I didn't want just money. And I had. I lost sight of that. And I, and like good friend of mine and co-host of action boys, Ben Rogers. I was like, he's like, what, what would make you happy in this career? He's like, would you be happy? Six seasons of like a network sitcom. He's like, you'd be rich, but would you love your job? And I'd be like, fuck, I don't know. What if it's a bad show? He's like, of course. Yeah, of course. And I was like, right. And then all of a sudden I'm like, all these things that I think I want really bad in life. I'm like, I only want them because I see other people having them. And then I also see the end result of having enough money to finally have a dishwasher, even though I'm 40 and still living in a 900 square foot <laughs> apartment. All that shit comes into play. But I really in the pandemic, like, I don't. I don't want to say like I'm overusing the word Zen or something like cultural appropriation. I'm a mouth breathing white Long Island meathead. So I'm not, but I did feel a relief of like, who cares about material goods? Who cares? Like, and that stuck with me that like it's, and then the, then the show came together and it was like, when I didn't care what happened next in my career, I got a huge boost and it was just like, uh, that felt, I mean, Yes, I'm in a place of privilege. I'm a guy who's like, I don't know what I want to do in my life. And then I get a great travel show. Uh, But now I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. Here's the thing. A few years, like during the pandemic, I realized I'm like, all I want to do is travel and check. I'm a box checker. I love to have tried something, whether it's a a food, an activity. Uh, Ask my mom. She drove me to 40 different sports throughout junior high and high school. I played roller hockey, volleyball, swimming, diving. I like tried every sport because I just enjoyed new activity. I like the anxiety of walking into something that I don't fully understand. Like there's something that makes me feel powerful that I mean, that's that's obviously privilege where it's like the only time I feel <laughs> you, you, you know, you have a cush life where you're like, I like to set myself up for weird experiences with food and alcohol. <laughs> um, what is, what is something in the, in the professional world that you want to do that you haven't gotten to do yet? What's something that you want to try? Interesting. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, 
I, I don't really know. I, I'd love to be a guest on a late night talk show. That would, that would feel like a sort of bucket list thing. But Is that, that going to happen for this show? Uh, probably not for me. Maybe for Adam. Yeah. Uh, Two of you together, a, though. That could be. Yeah. We'll see. I'll ride his coattails onto whatever show. <laughs> I just know he has like he's been on all these shows. So he has he has connections and, and, and he's friends with these hosts. Uh, I'm hope like honestly, like I don't even know what I. I want, I want to keep my options open. I want to be able to, Oh, you're, you want, I want to make shit with friends and then get paid to drink in other cities. Like that's all <laughs> I want. That's all I want to do for the rest of my life. Whatever the fuck that means. However that plays out. That's what I want to do. So now I want to do our segment called the first laugh and we're going to run through some, some firsts in your life and career and, uh, and talk about them. So, uh, starting all the way back, what's the first piece of comedy or one of the first that made you laugh really hard, uh, growing up as a kid? As a kid, we were obsessed. Comedy movies were bigger than than TV comedies for my family. Uh, we loved Hot Shots. Um, we loved Cable Guy. Uh, we loved, you know, the classics, Dumb and Dumber, that Sandler movies. We loved all that shit. The Jim Carrey movies, the Sandler movies, uh, spoof movies. Loved them all. Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, I was going to say Naked Gun, right? Dude. Naked Gun, I, Dracula Dead and Loving It, Wrongfully Accused. <laughs> I love all those fucking movies. Wrongfully Accused, the Fugitive parody is low-key my favorite. Yeah, of all well, that's of an them. underrated one for sure. Oh, hell yeah. One of the best jokes in the world that I can't get out of my head in that is, that's a very interesting face your dog has. Uh, that's his butthole. <laughs> and then he goes, mm, no wonder why I didn't like those treats I was feeding him. <laughs> <laughs> That just makes me laugh so hard. It's so dumb. Uh, that shit worked on me so well when I was a kid. And then when I was more in my like late teens, uh, seeing Anchorman in the movie theater and the part when they get to like the newscaster fight and like everyone's getting in a rumble to me, that was so fucking funny and so indicative of my sense of humor of like, here's a normal thing. And now we're in a gladiator movie. You know, it's like a brick. Where'd you get a trident? Yeah. You should lay low for a while. You killed yeah. somebody during that. You, you killed a guy. You killed a guy during that post fight breakdown. I'm laughing so hard in the theater. <laughs> I'm squeezing my dick and spurts of piss are just i'm pissing my pants but i don't want to get up and go i just can't stop so i don't want to miss anything so i urinate and i should just look up when anchorman came out because uh oh 2004 great so i was 22 years old pissing my pants <laughs> also i think a big part of my comedy upbringing i should say is my family everyone in my family is very funny. Uh, my mom is like goofy and self-deprecating and uh, sh she's also a great comedy audience. She laughs a lot. Like you can get her going. Uh, my dad, not self-deprecating at all, but other deprecate, king of the roast, like are arguably mean like a lot of <laughs> a word people use to describe my dad was mean he was mean but he was so fucking funny so cutting and then uh, all of his siblings were like that. And then me and I have two younger brothers who are both probably even funnier than I am. They just don't have the insanely thick ego to like uh, rock and roll all the way through it. But we grew up just being latchkey. Our parents were, uh, you know, my mom was a nurse and my dad was a stagehand. So the hours were weird. They were working at night. They were working weekends. So it was the three of us just watching comedy movies, making each other laugh, doing pranks, doing vandalism, you know, just the classic <laughs> feral child shit. But like, I feel like that was part of my comedy upbringing too of like we would just crack I, we still 
I, I'm 40, my brothers are 37 and 32, and we still crack each other up nonstop. So it's that that was definitely part of my uh, and Hot Shots is like their favorite. You know, like we all love Hot yeah. Shots. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this connects to to that and with your family. But do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny that you could make other people laugh? Oh yeah, you know, early on, I realized that like my little I was cute enough to be a wise ass and people liked it like other people's pa- and then I I don't know how else to explain this without I might come across as a little bit creepy here but like making women laugh like my friends moms and stuff you know like <laughs> I I was like a hormonal little heterosexual boy making my friends moms laugh was like you know a kiss on the cheek or something like you know it felt good and then yeah I brought that energy to school and I would, uh, I was like, I was class clown, obviously. Uh, I was obnoxious asshole, but I wanted the teachers to laugh as like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, pander to my student, to my fellow students. I would make my fellow students laugh. I was trying to make everyone laugh all the time, especially women. Um, but I would always go to make the teacher laugh. And that's when I realized I, I was actually kind of funny was when I was like, a freshman or a sophomore and I was making like th- like teachers break like all right okay Gabrus okay and even teachers called me Gabrus were like okay <laughs> Gabrus that's enough we get it like uh, that's enough I got a lot of that's enough you know they don't want to yell at me because they're obviously laughing yeah it's hard to yell at you while they're laughing yeah as a matter of fact my I did that so much in AP psych which I was in at the time because I thought I was going to be an FBI profiler long story um, my teacher I, I ended up winning like a small scholarship at the scholarship awards, like $300 for someone pursuing a career in entertainment. And I, <laughs> and I was like, who put me up for this? I don't want to do entertainment. I want to be an FBI agent. And my, <laughs> and my uh, shout out Miss Maitland, who is an AP psych teacher at Mepham high school. She goes, you're not going to work at the FBI. <laughs> and I was like, no, I really am. She's like, trust me, you trust me, you need to do this. And then I went away to college and like, as a biology major and like, three days in we're like fuck this doing comedy for the rest of my life like found a comedy group switched to tv and film as a major and was like fuck it this is my life yeah. plans even now. your teacher probably knew you smoked too much weed to join the fbi <laughs> yeah she's like well funny enough i quit smoking weed after freshman year of high school because i had heard that the fbi had like a limit they like uh gave you a lie detector test to see how many times you you got high <laughs> yeah. so i stopped smoking weed and didn't start again till full circle adam pally's bachelor party in in uh, when I was like 25 years old. So I was off weed for like 10 years. I've since made good up for, for your it. brain. Very good for my brain. Would not have finished college probably, but <laughs> now I've made up for it in the last decade. So we're, we're Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you, you know, still want to be a guest on a late night show. Um, your first IMDB credit is as a wedgie bully on Conan. Oh, um, where you, where, shit. where you then made a lot of other, uh, appearances, uh, interrupting his monologue and things like that. Um, what do you remember about that first appearance on Conan? That was so rad. Uh, at the time there was, uh, a woman who worked for Conan, who was uh, friends with the UCB people and would bring in, uh, they would always need some sketch actors, uh, that they couldn't fill in with all the writers. Uh, so, uh, I luckily got to play a bully because none of the Conan writers, weirdly enough, looked like a bully. <laughs> so uh, like, they brought, we, we need to we need to bring someone else in here. They brought me in. I got fired from my day job because I took off to go do that because that was a big opportunity. Totally worth it. I got to meet Conan. I got to meet. 
I'm in a sketch with Dan Gore, who would go on to create Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I would be on in the uh, season finale, season five finale. Um, and that was just in a magnificent experience. Absolutely nervous, watching Conan play guitar through rehearsal, all this cool shit. I had to carry out Conan's then assistant by his by underwear over his pants because I was like a wedgie, <laughs> a wedgie guy. It was just such a fun experience. And and I, I did a couple more and a couple more a couple that didn't air, uh, but then they sort of slowed down having uh, non uh, writers on the show to save money. Like much like everybody in Hollywood, they eventually <laughs> had to start saving money. Whack. <laughs> um, you were also in the first episode of what we do in the shadows um Hell which is yeah. a great great moment um what do you remember from from that uh it was a dream i mean it was after shortly after watching watching thor ragnarok i'm being directed by taika and and i'm a lifelong lifelong flight of the concords head uh i saw them before uh at ucb in the front row with my wife in like oh five before they were anybody and they were this is how mike berbiglia warmed up the crowd for them now those uh, those are fucking huge legends all of them uh but i've been a fan of uh jermaine and and them and then i love the original movie the what we do in the shadows and then on the day, I met Harvey, who uh, who plays Guillermo, and he was so... I mean, they were all so nice, but Harvey really spent time talking to me, and we became buds. He, he's done he's done High and Mighty. Um, and that was just a magnificent experience, like just really fun, like overnight shoot at the Long Beach docks. And, and <laughs> the reason I booked the role is they wanted the guy to have a strong New York accent. And so I went into audition, and they were like, just do as New Yorky as possible. I'm like, you wouldn't believe how much practice I have with that. <laughs> Jermaine said he watched the tapes and he goes, pick whoever's got the most New Yorky sounding voice. <laughs> he told me that at uh, when I got booked. I'm like, well, I'm so blessed to be here. And then at the same time, it was just the pilot. So I had no idea if the show was going to come back or if it was going to even be good or anything like that. I had confidence because it was Taika, Jermaine, and uh, uh, Sims or whatever. And then it fucking comes out and it's amazing and i'm like oh shit i wish i was a character that could come back yeah <laughs> <laughs> they need the warfinger again yeah so i just need uh, someone to sign for where's the pen so the tablet just is the paper your finger is the yeah, pen okay that's weird okay that's nothing both of you for some reason aren't registering here you got long nails maybe or something Would you like it go less low do you have a quill no, it's all no, I'm digital. I'm signing that. Gamo, give me your hand. Ah, okay. Well, that was obviously an audition that went well. Do you have any uh, other particularly memorable audition stories, either that uh, that went well or, or didn't go well? No, they all they all go bad. Like, yeah. uh, you know, the, the comp, it's like 99% of the time I'm like, I'm not right. I'm not ready. I'm sweaty. I didn't know my lines, this, that, uh, they hate me, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they want to book you. They're going to book you. Nope. Sorry. If more famous person swooped back in, uh, oh, bummer. Mike Mitchell is available. You're out. You know, like <laughs> we got John Gambling, not you. you sorry. Uh, like that shit happens all the time, but here's a great audition bomb story. Uh, I, like any comedy guy who grew up in the 80s and 90s, have an insane crush on Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, mm, yeah. uh, Elaine. And then uh, I auditioned for Veep, and uh, Armando Iannucci and JLD are in the room. I go into the room. JLD says, hi, I'm Julia. And I go, 
yeah, you look familiar to me. I'm, I got to know, where do I know you from? Like <laughs> trying to make a joke and nobody laughs. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh no. So now I'm <laughs> shattered. The one thing I like in life is to make beautiful women laugh. And uh, I'm like, fuck. That's crushing. So I go back, I stand over there, and uh, Armando Iannucci explains the character to me. The character would later be booked by Tim Baltz, who deserves it, because Tim mm-hmm. is a fucking yeah, legend. He's great. Super yeah. funny. But he goes, this guy's like full of himself and thinks that his shit don't stink and everything he does is super important and anything you do is dumb. I'm like, oh, like an actor. Like making another joke and no one laughs again. Oh and I'm like, oh, I'm completely rattled. I bomb the, I suck at the audition going through it because I didn't even do it. And I walk out and I'm on the street and I'm literally pacing going, Gabrus, what the fuck were you thinking? You fucking <laughs> moron. And I, I'm a buddy of mine who was auditioning for the same role is walking up. DC, shout out DC Pearson. And he goes, oh, did you go in yet? And I, I go, yeah, I just got out. And he goes, oh, it looks like you're running lines. And I was like, oh, no, I'm berating myself for bombing. <laughs> so have fun in there, dude. <laughs> uh, that's too bad. But yeah, I mean, I think you would have been great on the show if you had made it on. But yeah, Tim Bolt's good, too. Yeah, not not bad. <laughs> um, do, you, do you have a um, story about the first time you met one of your comedy heroes? Well, you kind of just told them with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. But do you have any other uh, memorable moments meeting people you really looked up to in the... I was, at, I was at a bar in comedy ba- uh, in comedy bang bang at comic-con with uh with a friend owen burke who at the time worked at gary sanchez productions which was will ferrell and adam mckay's production company and i met adam mckay and the conversation did something something i i made like a a joke response and mckay laughed and to me he has no idea who I am. I never spoke to him again. We never sp- we barely, I don't even think we introduced each other t- to us there, but we're in a circle. I made a joke and McKay laughed and not a pity laugh. I, I'm aware of what they yeah. are. <laughs> and to me, as a diehard anchorman and later on, Step Brothers being my favorite, com- one of my favorite comedies of all time, like doing that was, that, that was huge for me. That was, oh, and I, I got to meet Larry Charles doing Raised by TV, which was pretty fucking rad too. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Mm-hmm. Finally, I like to give guests a chance to shout out a comedy that's making them laugh right now. So what's the last piece of comedy that, that made you laugh really hard that you've seen? Ooh, good question. Ooh, good question. You know, I'm not going to lie. If I, if I have to go off last thing I saw, Lost City of D, the Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock movie. <laughs> Much better than you think it's going to be. It's, it's funny. It's a good classic rom-com. I mean... Channing is great in those kind of roles. Sandy is built for fucking rom-coms. She's got it in her bones. And then Brad Pitt has a cameo. It's a fucking win-win-win all around. Uh, that yeah, I can't I can't believe that's the last thing, the last movie. <laughs> cause I because I don't watch a ton of comedies. Like I watch comedy movies. I don't watch a lot of comedy TV shows. You know, uh, I like a, I like my dramas. I like my violence and my <laughs> my cults. <laughs> Yeah. What's the best uh, violent thing you watched uh, recently? I'm loving The Old Man. Oh, on, uh, yeah, I, That's what I was going to say, too. It's so good. I'm a couple episodes in. I mean, Bridges and Lithgow, who, who could ask for anything more? They're so fucking good. Then I see my buddy Echo in the fourth episode. I didn't even know he shot on the show. I, I'm like texting him like, dude, you're in fucking, t- no spoilers, but are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. And um, yeah, the the new show, I can't wait to watch more. 
um, and see what you guys get up to in these other cities because it's a lot of fun. Well, Matt, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to have me here. This was a lot of fun, man. Um, and I'll see you in five years at a Comedy Bang Bang recording. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What, yeah. I hope to come back uh, for another one of those. That'd be great. Oh, sick. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Have a good one, brother. Well, that was just about as much fun as I ever could have imagined. So thank you again to John Gabris for taking the time. 101 Places to Party Before You Die is airing every Thursday night at 10.30 p.m. on True TV. And you can find his several podcasts, including High and Mighty, Action Boys, and The Movie Buff, wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.